welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Hello and welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. This is episode 32 and we're titling it Belief in God in America. And I guess the first thing I should say is the hosts today are really only Mark and Tim. Ajay is a world traveler right now, off on business and a little bit of pleasure. So he's been unable to record with us. But Mark, you and I are going to try and soldier on without him, yeah? I don't know if it's possible, man, but we'll do our best. (laughs) Understood. So I said the title today was Belief in God in America. And... I am taking this from an article I saw on thehill.com, which is, it's not an endorsement. It is a website where I get my political news from, and um, they had this article, uh, Belief in God in America is on the Decline, and this was from a Gallup poll. So this article was put up there on June 17th, 2022, and this is something that I wanted to talk about a minute. Let's talk. The, the, the very beginning of this, it points out that Gallup's been asking this question of Americans for a long time, since back in the mid-40s. And between the mid-40s and 2011, the consistent result of asking that question was a 90-plus percent rate of people saying, yes, I believe in God, at one point as high as 98 percent. But recently, that number has been going down, and in our most recent Gallup poll that was taken in May of this year, 2022, the majority, still a large majority, but the majority number became 81%. So that's been a decline in the number of people who claim that they believe in God. Now, I think Mark and I have talked about this. This issue is this issue and this podcast are going to be a little bit different than others we've done because... There's going to be a lot more of Mark and Mai's opinion, a lot more just discussion, and then maybe a lot less scriptural backing for point, you know, for bringing things up because it's not like we're talking about the gospel specifically. Although I, I'm willing to bet it'll make a guest appearance, but it's going to be more about what we think and how what we might believe about how this came about. So, I feel like I've been talking for a long time. Mark, come save us. Say something. Okay. Well, one thing that jumps out at me when you take the question, do you believe in God? Do you believe in the existence of God? That's a very nebulous question that could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Some people might say yes to that question. They believe in a higher power, or they may be uh, you know, into Judaism or they may be Muslims. They believe that there's a God. So um, the specificness, if that's a word, of this question leaves something to be desired. But I think the overall trend is interesting. Uh, And then the second thing that comes to my mind is there's a big difference between believing in God and being a Christian, being in Christ. Those are two completely different things. I mean, we live in a Christian society. Overall, the United States is a Christian, was a Christian nation. 
historically and was founded on biblical principles. But one could even argue that even during its founding, there were people that believed in biblical principles but did not know the Lord Jesus Christ. So, But overall, this country was founded on biblical principles. So just getting a little bit of a, a context laid, um, the main blaring question is why? Why is belief in God's existence going down? And I, that's a very complex, very complex question. And I don't think it's one you and I could answer. Do you, Tim? I don't think we can possibly cover all the socio uh, factors involved here, you know, and economics and things like that. No, I mean, and even and we have to admit right up front, this is a fairly politically charged discussion as well, because uh, sure. in the article, it does bring up some politics, although we are probably not going to dig into that. One of, the, one of the things I would posit, it's because of our type of education system. We, are, we come from a skeptical approach on everything, you know, in, in science, in, you know, whatever you're trying to prove, people come from trying to disprove something. Um, and, and when you have a skeptical approach to something, it's like saying, I, I will not believe in God unless I have laboratory evidence that he exists. But the thing people don't realize, at least most of them don't, God, even though he created everything, he's not part of the creation. You can't experiment in soil samples looking for God because he's not in them. He's not in creation. He created, and you could see his fingerprints and design, great design, but you can't use the scientific method to prove for or against him. And when people use that method and say, well, if I can't prove he's here, well, then I'm not going to believe in him. That skepticism, I think, is going to turn some people away. Well, skepticism itself is not a bad thing. It, it, in the right place and the right use, I think it's a wonderful tool, uh, especially for forwarding intelligence about things. But God can work with skeptics as well. One of the people that comes to mind is Lee Strobel, who was a journalist who, who was very atheistic, and he set out to prove there was no God. And in his research to write a book, he ended up becoming absolutely convinced there was a God and actually became born-again Christian and ended up writing a book for the case. I think, was that the case for Christ? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's a great point, but I want to point out a difference as well. Throughout the ages, there have been great atheistic skeptics that have gone out to disprove the gospel and came to Christ through doing that, just like Lee Strobel. I think on the program before, I've mentioned William Mitchell Ramsey, who at the turn of the 19th or turn of the 20th century was the world's leading archaeologist and historian on Asia Minor, which was the area that the Apostle Paul went to, to do his missionary voyages and plant the gospel throughout Asia Minor. He was an atheist who got funded by some of the top colleges, universities in England and in the United States with the premise of going out and proving that the Apostle Paul never existed and that Luke 
was the hist- a historian of the lowest rating. By the time he was halfway through that endeavor, it was a six-year expedition, he came to Christ and had to uh, admit that Luke was a historian of the highest rank. So this has happened. Now, the difference is, though, these are people that were atheistic skeptics that went out and did their homework. They studied scripture. They studied archaeology. You know, that's different than just having a skeptical attitude throughout life and never doing anything about it, using that skepticism to do your homework and search to see. So I would say that's a major difference between that type of, that attitude of just being skeptical, but not seeing if your skepticism is warranted, that could just lead to a lackadaisical, well, I don't believe in God. You know, I'm skeptical of it. So So skepticism is one thing. In the classic term, I believe it means you're still open to being, you know, discussing and and, uh, researching and finding out. The kind of skepticism I see nowadays is I don't believe in God and nothing you say or nothing that anyone can say or do is going to disprove that. And while I, you know, I said skepticism is healthy, there have been plenty of frauds in Christianity. I'm going to put big air quotes around that word for the moment who have been, oh, I'm a faith healer. And it turns out they're they're bunko artists and they're sure. people who are doing teachings and leading people astray for money. And so skepticism itself isn't a bad thing, but continuing to research and find out and learn, hey, if your mind is closed, I guess I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try and crack a tough nut, I guess. Sure. Well, e- even scripture encourages people to contemplate, to come and reason uh, to test things, to uh, get counsel. You know, even Jesus warned, be careful because false teachers will come, you know, and we are to be wise, you know, shrewd as serpents and innocent as, do- as doves. So, you know, skepticism can be a good thing when when people do it honest. It leads them to honest searching out, seeking so, yeah, I guess I'm just saying more of a pessimistic, negative, that kind of, you know. Yeah. The other thing I want to know from some of these people is say, well, I'm not going to believe until you can prove it to me. Well, what would you constitute as proof? There's an awful lot of archaeological evidence that the Bible's history is correct. There's uh, writings of people who claim to have been, you know, to have known Jesus. It's called the Gospels. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that is pro-Christianity, pro-Bible scripture, things like that. So what do you need? Do you need, do you need, are you Thomas? Do you need to see the, the nail wounds and put your fingers in his hands inside? Well, that that's a good point. And, you know, and when I just think about it offhand, there's a lot of reasons people give for rejecting Christ, for rejecting the existence of God. Um, I mean, you hear people say, oh, look at all the evil in the world. How could God exist? Or if he does exist, he must be evil if he allows that. But I always found that to be a very weak argument on so many different levels. One I'll just add here that you never hear anybody mention is, well, if you're going to use evil as proof against God, 
Well, what about all the love in the world and self-sacrifice? If you can use evil to say there is no God, you can use people sacrificing themselves, giving, helping others as proof for God. I say neither one is proof for or against. There is evil in the world. Even Jesus said that. I mean, that's the whole reason he came is because we all have some of it in us and we're not good enough to do it ourselves. So, but um, we're kind of getting a little uh, bunny trail here. So um, (laughs) that's us. So one thing I I always like to bring up on this show is, is that the world is filled with religions. Okay. And I looked up, I looked up the uh, definition of religion today. Here it is. Okay. This is how Webster defines the word religion. He says, a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Geez, sign me up for that right away, won't you? (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, most that's how Christianity differs from every religion in the world. It's not a religion. It's a person. Christianity is Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. He is the good news himself, that God loves all people so much that even when we're estranged from him, even when we're skeptical of him, reject him, or we're in that 19% there that answered Gallup's poll, no, I don't believe in him, he loves them so much, even as they're telling the pollster that, that he said, I'm sending my son to save that person. And that's the message. That's the gospel. And to me, I've got to believe that's one of the main reasons, not just in the United States currently or over the last 200-something years, but throughout the centuries, it's people are rejecting the Christian religion. And people have tried to turn it into that. You know, throughout the ages, pastors and preachers and theologians have tried to make it about, as Webster said, uh, religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices, and not about Christ. So to me, people are rejecting Christ, but that's because they think he's something that he's not. They think he's some uh, organized religion instead of the lover of their very soul that came for them, that gave everything for them. And that's really what the unveiling is about. It's pulling back that veil of religion so that we can see Christ for who he is, contemplate him and be changed and transformed forever by that kind of love. Yeah, and I got to say that I think some of that is reflected in the people that you would find in church, which most churches are very religious rather than relational. And I think that, you know, Christianity is relational, not religious. You know, they're, they get, they can be condescending, they can be condemning, they can be cold, they can shut people out. You know, the church is supposed to be as accepting as Jesus was. And he hung out with some of the, you know, big names and then the cast outs. He, we should be reflecting his openness to people. But people get turned away, they get judged, they get, you know, put down. Mahatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. And I think, you know, if we could be more Christ-like and show that love to people and not 
be the way they are. And I, I'm sure we, I'm not trying to point a finger at anybody because I've done, I've, I've lived through the organized religion of church in the past. And I'm sure I've contributed to that in some ways and for which I'm very, very repentant. Well, I think our worldviews shape who we are. Okay, if you're sitting in a church that is preaching religion, we use we use a lot of different words here on the unveiling for religion. We use old covenant law, works of the law. We use performance, uh, behavior modification, living by rules and regulations. Do this, don't do that. That type of belief system, that type of life, uh, foments condemnation and guilt. And if we're always feeling guilty and condemned and shamed, we're going to do that to other people that we don't think are towing the mark. Where if, as Jesus said, those who are forgiven much love much. If we know who we are, that we fail so often, and that God loves us so much even despite that, the word is grace, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. That's what God gives us. When we understand and receive that message, that also changes us and has a fruit. And unfortunately, it seems like through the ages, the majority of Christians have been in the camp that are mixing the law religion with the gospel. And the Apostle Paul said in Galatians that when you do that, you're perverting the gospel. And unfortunately, it's hard to find a church now where you can go and sit and hear the pure gospel being preached without any perversion by the law. I don't mean to be unkind, but that's my life experience. I've been not only going to church for many years, but working in churches as a worship leader. And so many of the pastors I worked for, they did not understand the true gospel of grace. I want to give you a couple of scriptures now that just beyond a shadow of a doubt tell you what that gospel is. So what is the gospel? If it's so important to our society and to the world that the message we bring is the message of God's grace, Christ Jesus, and him crucified, what is that? You know. So I want to give you a couple scriptures there. This is Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And the first three chapters of the book of Galatians are all Paul just going basically ballistic because people are trying to pervert this gospel that he's giving his life for. And he says to the Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Right there you have what's called bibliographical proof. He's telling you that the gospel is living in the grace of Christ. And he says they're turning from that gospel to a different one, which is really no gospel at all. Because anything other than that is not the gospel. It's a perversion. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, which, remember, he told us is living in the grace of Christ. He says, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel 
other than what you accepted. Let them be under God's curse. What do you think about that, Tim? Do you think he was kind of hedging his words there, trying to <laughs> just hint around at the subject? Yeah, he he didn't want to come on too strong or anything there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let him let him be cursed. Yeah, he he did not mince words. No. And, and he doesn't do that again here in Acts 20, 24. So he spends the first part of that chapter going through all the good things he'd accomplished in his life before he came to Christ. And after that, he said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So he's telling you there, he's got one aim in life, and that's testifying to the good news of God's grace, that God is pouring out his undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor and love on all men. And that's found in Acts chapter 20. So he was very single-minded and passionate that was his driving passion. Um, one more, Acts 14 here talks about Paul and Barnabas and that they were going from Jewish synagogue to Jewish synagogue preaching this gospel of grace. And it said many of, many of the Jews and Greeks believed, but there were some Jews who refused to believe, and they started poisoning the minds of the people against them. So it says that they went on from there continuing to preach the gospel through the countryside. Okay, so once again, we're seeing this gospel is God's grace. Uh, and then this is a very famous one from the Apostle Paul. This is actually the scripture that changed Martin Luther's life and launched the Great Reformation, who even secular historians say was the one event in history beside the original coming of Christ that changed the the landscape and face of the planet more than any other thing, this Reformation. And this is the scripture that he couldn't get out of his mind because at that time the church was nothing but pure religion. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That flies in the face of religion, doesn't it? Where it's all about do this, don't do that, give this much amount of money, pray this many hours a day, read this many chapters, you know, and so much energy has gone in to giving Christians tools <laughs> to do all the right things and not do the wrong things. Which we've already been shown we can't do. That's why we need Jesus. This is this is the base of Christianity. We can't do these things. Only God Yeah, why would you, instead of preaching Christ, try to give Christians tools to try to do what they can't do? Right. We we can't do it, so we need a savior. So quit trying to help us do what we can't do and we're never meant to do. We were meant to turn to Christ. And those teachings tend to uh, people tend to interpret those teachings as God doesn't always love me. He only loves me when and fill in the circumstance or the act or the 
whatnot. Love is not conditional. God loved us when we were sinners and we were at our worst, when we were shaking our fist at him and, and, and telling him, you know, we hate you. He still loved us. When we accepted him, now that love can flow to, on, and through us without any condition whatsoever. There's no do this, don't do that, that he'll, that he'll accept you more. He accepts us, he loves us, and he gave us 100% of that at the cross and then when, when we accepted it. That, that, that is, that's the wonderful message that we are called to share Now, there was a real famous Bible commentarian named Matthew Henry from a couple hundred years ago. And to this day, he said something that has stuck with me. And he said, the old covenant prophet cried out to show people their sin. The new covenant prophet cries out to show people their savior. And I just love that. It's such a guiding principle. It should be for every pastor and preacher out there. And we just encourage you, let go of showing people their sin. You know, show them how much God loves them, even while they're dead in that sin. And I used to be a worship pastor for a church, and one of the ladies there had been a Christian. She was in her 80s. Anita, you remember her, I think. Absolutely. But she stood up... uh, and said during one of a one of our services that she spent her whole life trying to tell, bring people to Christ and to stop sinning and to turn from their sin and repent of their sin. She said she was so joyful. She just stood up and said, "All I have to do is tell people how much Jesus loves them." That's what you know. We need that message. We especially in these days, right? Absolutely. And that's what I call the attractiveness of the gospel. The gospel is attractive. There's forgiveness and freedom. It's not about imposing more rules on you or more behavior modifications. It's about setting you free, cleaning you, and setting you free. Right. And, and you know, they always use all these Christian catchphrases, you need to repent of your sin. Well, nowhere in the New Testament, New Covenant, does it ever say to repent of your sin. It says, repent for the forgiveness of sins. And repent has got nothing to do with you turning away from your sin first. Repent is the Greek word metanoia, which means to rethink. Rethink who Jesus is. Rethink how he feels about you and turn to him and all your sins are forgiven. It doesn't mean you better pull up your bootstraps, clean up your life. You better stop smoking, stop drinking, stop having sex with your girlfriend, then come to Christ and he'll accept you. No, that's not what it means. But that's what people have preached. One more scripture, which is, I got to say, this is probably my scripture of the year. <laughs> and we've talked about it many times on this scripture, on, on this, I'm sorry, on this podcast. And it's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2. He writes this. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power 
so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What an all-encompassing, chock-full-of-meaning little paragraph that was, especially in the face of when you look at so many men who preach the gospel now, they're great public speakers. Oh, they are brilliant. They're funny. They're charismatic. And yet their message is without power. It relies on their own personalities and their own wisdom and eloquence and visual aids and videos. And, you know, and I don't mean to be unkind, but the Apostle Paul said he he didn't say, I don't have eloquence. We know that he was a very uh, learned person and a very eloquent person. What he said was when he shared the gospel, he did not rely on his own giftedness, but his message that he preached was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And earlier he said that the God, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. The power is in the message, not the messenger. And the power of that message is Christ and him crucified. That is the message of God's grace. That is the proof of God's love for you. And that's what we're called to share. Look how much God loves you. Look what he went through for you on the cross. The beatings, the flogging, spit on, mocked, a, a crown of thorns. He went through so much for us. That's the message we bring. And he was motivated because of his love. That's a great set of verses, and we did a whole episode on uh, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I think that was episode twenty-nine. Yeah, yeah, it is the heart of it all. It, it really is. It's the cross and Jesus and the cross. Everything is. And, and when you just when we've talked about this a little before, but I, I'm coming up with a just an idea right now. Maybe it'll be a song. I don't know, but it's that God is a God of extremes in many ways. I guess that's another word for holy when you think about it. He has an extreme love for you, a holy love. He's extremely powerful. You know, it's a holy power. But but when you think about the fact of who God is, that Christ is the ra- radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, and yet... While we were in the midst of our transgression, dead in transgression, while we were enemies of the cross, without God, without hope in the world, that's when God gave us his best. That's when he sent the thing that was most costly and precious was in the midst. Not when we were living our best, doing our best deed. You know, People think about Christ coming and they're hoping that when he comes again, his return, that at that moment they happen to be serving in a soup kitchen <laughs> and not like <laughs> online with pornography or something. Yeah. You know, timing is everything, right? Yep. But when you realize it's not about what you do, good or bad, but that you receive God's love through Christ, and that's all that we're ever going to be judged on because when he looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. And you know what? The word gospel means good news, literally. The Greek is evangelion, good tidings, good news. When we share the gospel with people, it should sound like not only good news, but the best news they've ever heard in their lives. So many of this 19% that are rejecting Christ or rejecting God, are they rejecting that good news? Are they rejecting the love of God or are they rejecting religion? Do this and don't do that. Here's what you're doing wrong in your life. 
I do hear from a lot of people that I talk to, well, it's not that I don't believe in God, but I just rejected organized religion and big capital letters and big quotes. And I mean, I guess I understand that. We've we've been in churches where, you know, how many, and I call, what do I call myself? I'm trying to become a reformed Christian because all my life I spent in a performance-based religion Coming out of that into grace and finding the love, the joy, the freedom is just, it's, it's freeing. It's, (laughs) I don't want to use the same words over and over, but I mean, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, it's not about somebody in a pulpit trying to tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and how you have to fix this and how you have to fix that. How many times did we walk out of church feeling beaten up or like, oh, here's another thing that I don't do right and God must not hate, you know, must not love me. He must hate me some days. Sure. You know. Yeah. And, you know, the cross is not meant Contrary to what you hear many pastors uh, teaching, and if you want to hear more on this, you can go back to our debunking Christian myth series when we talked about the cross being an offense. It's something that Paul wrote that people have taken 180 degrees out of phase from what it really means. The cross is not meant to be an, an offense to unbelievers. It's a symbol of God's grace and love for them and the sacrifice to make them his children. That's not, how is that going to offend people? What the cross is an offense to is the religious, because the religious want to earn their own righteousness. I can do it. Look at me. I'm going to do all the right things. That's who the cross offends, because it is a symbol of grace. You know, with a tip of the hat to Matthew Henry, I would say that a good way of looking at your church if you're attending and determining whether they're what they're teaching is if they're teaching you about your sin and what you have to do to fix it instead of teaching you about Jesus and telling you about how he's already fixed you that's a really good indication you may want to find another church that will teach the true gospel message as the apostle paul said when he was with the corinthians i resolved to know nothing but christ and him crucified. And within that message is an ocean of meaning and things to contemplate and transform. It's not like the pastor is going to run out of things the day he decides we are going to shine a light on Christ and nowhere else. We're not going to shine it on ourselves, examining ourselves for every little sin and peccadillo and way we fall short. We're going to look to Christ, and the Spirit's going to transform us into His image. Amen. Well, as usual, uh, we slipped off into preaching the gospel, and we started off talking about an article, but that's all right, because one of the main reasons we believe that people aren't believing in God or attending church as much as they used to is because they've received bad messages. They've received the message of sin and failure and destruction and condemnation, guilt, shame. You know, it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to go every week for that either. And I wouldn't want to be aligned with a God who made me feel like that all the time. And then he's not, he won't, not the true God. So, you know, um, we, we kind of did get off a little try. Is there anything else you want to say about that poll, Mark? Well, I'll just, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words when he said, Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. So I believe our conversations are always going to end there, no matter what we talk about, because all things relate 
to God's love for us displayed on the cross. Every road leads back to there, no matter what the subject is. Um, and I, I want, I'd like to end with an encouragement to any pastors or small group leaders, all, anybody who shares the gospel. And that is, um, hearken back to what Jesus said. Okay? He said that you don't put, Jesus brought what he called new wine. Okay? He said you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Okay? And what the church has been doing for so many years. First of all, they're offering old wine. They're offering the old covenant works of the law, religion, performance, behavior modification, living according to rules and regulations. Do this, don't do that. I could keep going on. There's so many words for it. That's the old wine. Jesus brought the new wine, the love of God in the cross, that we are to receive him and he will come and, and make his home with us through his spirit. Um, so what we need in our churches now more than anything is to bring the new wine and to put it in new wine skins. It's not changing the wine itself, but it's changing what's holding that wine, what's holding the message. That's going to change throughout every century. The, the worship music's going to change. It's still holding the same new wine, the styles of, you know, church, whether we have a PA, whether we have lighting. These are all just wineskins. And I believe the church needs new wineskins now because people have such preconceived notions from being beat on by the Christian religion for so many years. We need to bring that pure new wine and new wineskins where they can accept it. If you think we get obnoxious about teaching the gospel here, you should hear us in our private discussions. <laughs> Well, I think what we're trying to do here, all three of us on the unveiling, and hopefully the people that listen, is to put everything that we've heard from pastors, from TV, from books, our worldviews are all formed by everything we experience, everything we read, everything we see. We're trying to put that all in a crucible and just turn the flame up until all we're left is with is the pure gospel truth. That's what we're looking for because that's the most powerful, valuable thing in existence. So me and Ajay do go back and forth, uh, challenging what each other thinks, challenging our interpretations of scripture. And, you know, we won't, and we are skeptical sometimes of the things each other says, but that's good because, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Well, we're not trying to be obnoxious. We're just very passionate about how much God loves you that are listening right now. And we want you to receive all that he has for you, which the Apostle Paul calls the riches of his glory and inheritance. Those are all yours in Christ. So, Mark, we've uh, we've reached the end of our usually allotted time limit. Uh, do you want to do a wrap? Sure. Well, tonight, tonight was a very different than our normal, more structured, um, theologically informed, scripturally informed discussions that are on a specific subject. Tim and I just kind of tried to have a conversation going back and forth. But one thing hopefully that comes through is that we ourselves have experienced just the joy, the 
oh, you can't even put into words um, our relationship with knowing Christ, knowing God, starting to get a glimpse of just how much God loves us. That changes you and it puts a passion and a drive within you to share that with other people. And so we hope you got some, some of that out of there. And I would like to encourage everybody listening to continue to seek Jesus Christ and him crucified, the freedom that you're going to have from that and the forgiveness and the complete changing of your life that will come about from no longer trying to chase against your sins, but rather chase for Jesus. We'd like to thank everybody for listening this week. And as always, we encourage you to send us comments and email And we hope that you've enjoyed it enough to share with your friends and to subscribe through whatever podcast system you use. And we're going to sign off for this this episode and say thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again the next time. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.